Hello, everybody. I'll try that again. Hello, everybody. And welcome okay. to this, our fourth episode in our series, Is God the Biosphere? from the Hidden Power podcast. And you're listening to me, Philip Tottenham, and also to Ed Straw. Hi. Hi, again. And Ed, how are you? You've had a, a rough old week. Yeah, well, I, unfortunately, I've had a um, anthroscopic rotator cuff repair and scrape, which involves a series of woodworking tools, sort of drilling holes into your shoulder blade and then grinding off some of the bone and then knitting the tendon back onto uh, the uh, shoulder blade, um, which I think it's all gone rather well, but it's all rather painful. And It sounds um, both very painful and slightly squeamish-inducing, uh, and yet very interesting uh, from a, a mechanical and biological point of view. It's medicine as entirely mechanical. Anyway, apologies if I'm a little uh, rusty this week. But uh, I think you've got this episode pretty much cracked. Oh, well, thanks. Thank you. Well, yeah, so this week we're talking about rituals. And as you know, we've been looking at what would make the biosphere a compelling object for our attention. What are the problems that we face in keeping focus on trying to fix this fundamental issue in our lives? Well, we've been drifting towards whether God is the biosphere. And last week we looked at some slightly abstract but very interesting definitions of God and realities of God. But really, for most people's lives, any engagement with religion really amounts to engaging in in rituals. It's about how you live. So we wondered about how rituals might be significant in positioning the biosphere as a compelling object for our attention. And I think we arrived at distraction as the dark underbelly of the attention economy so ed before you give us the definitions around rituals it's just struck me that we did didn't we get a listener email quite an interesting one from david smith we did indeed i'll just turn it up david was saying you know thanks very much why is the biosphere not proved a compelling object for our attention and we discussed various things and he would add the flight fight versus flight trap, obstinacy uh, and morals, selfishness, greed, lust for power and lying. And the thing he says towards the end of his email is, well, how can we address all of this? And he refers to the book, The Triumph of the Political Class by Peter Oborn. And he describes the mid-19th century moral revolution in which nepotism and the many abuses were stamped out and often unwritten standards were set and observed by the establishment, which this all lasted until the mid-20th century when standards were gradually eroded. The interesting point that David's making there, first of all, is a moral revolution is possible and they do happen and they do have impact. Hmm. I think that is a really good point. He goes on and emphasises that what we need, back to a point that I very much agree with, a codified and entrenched constitution, but we also need organised religion to be far less timid. And in a way, I guess what we're doing on these podcasts is trying to organise a religion 
but also not to be timid about it. It's an interesting point because in modern atheistic society, if people are too pushy with their religions, it's seen as being somehow untoward. And yet, one thing he reminded me of was Noam Chomsky, the American intellectual who's very much picked up on the military-industrial complex and its effects around the world. And he was looking in American society for points of, of resistance. You know, how can you resist this overwhelming tide of this very strong element of the technosphere and the monetary system? And he found that churches were exactly the structures needed to mm. discuss and, and resist. So I thought that was interesting because I'm pretty sure he would be at the very least agnostic. So that's a great point. Thank you to David Smith for that. So we're talking about rituals, and it might be worth just having a drive-by of what a ritual is and yeah. whether we've got it right and what we think we're talking about. Yeah, so, I mean, Wikipedia always a good place to uh, start off with these things. A ritual is a sequence of activities involving gestures, words, actions, or objects performed according to a set sequence. Rituals may be prescribed by the traditions of a community, including a religious community. Rituals are characterized but not defined by formalism, traditionalism, invariance, rule governance, sacral symbolism, and performance. Rituals are a feature of all known human societies. Mm. They include not only the worship rites and sacraments of organized religions and cults, but also rites of passage, atonement, purification rites, oaths of allegiance, dedication ceremonies, coronation, presidential inaugurations, marriages, funerals, and even more. Wow. So it seemed, in terms of us doing something significant and urgent about the biosphere, that rituals have got a hell of a place to play. Well, I did find myself thinking about, in particular, ablution. So in Islam, there's this process five times a day where you wash, and there's a very particular way you do it of washing your face, your arms, your armpits, and you kind of rub the water in, into your face and arms in a particular way. Uh -huh. And what was striking to me about that was how powerful that must be in how you think about yourself. And I suppose Islam obviously comes from a very hot part of the world where being clean in that way and putting an emphasis on it would be very powerful in, in distinguishing mm. you. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, you know, other obviously other religions have rituals. I mean, I think in particular of Judaism is known for its great rituals in the home and around Hanukkah and also Jewish weddings. The setting up of the first home as a tent and the, the smashing of the glass are great fun rituals and great focuses of attention. And, yeah. you know, when I was growing up in the local Anglican church, they would say, you know, we will now offer each other a sign of peace and then shake hands or hug or whatever. Yeah. It was the only part of the whole thing that made any sense to me. But I did find myself thinking, okay, so this, as you say, as the Wikipedia article says, you know, that there's something very organic about rituals. They arise mm. in the most basic societies and structures. And therefore, they arise in our own irreligious societies and structures and i find myself thinking about there being more or less conscious rituals and more or less unconscious ones so the conscious rituals would be things like making a herbal tea and organizing your desk before you sit down to work help you get mm. into the right kind of mindset but also things like when people dive into the sea or into a pool they often pause for a second before mm. they do that as a kind of a 
a focus. And then, of course, for an artist or for an athlete, there's a lot of mental rehearsal and visualization before undertaking an action. Mm. So I felt like these all had something in common. And then there are the rituals that are completely unconscious and probably do nothing to support us, such as waking up and reaching for your mobile phone to I don't know, check social media yeah. or doom scroll through the news or whatever, flicking through TV. And then other things like it's, it's so pleasant and easy to walk or to cycle somewhere. And yet yeah. it's so easy just to sort of, because you're used to getting into a car, you get into the car, you don't really think about it. And so yeah. it's bad for the planet, bad for you, a less pleasant experience. Yeah. You know, what's the point? And yet somehow it's so easily done. You know, the first lot are about focus and the second lot are about distraction. That's yeah. where I felt I was getting to. And what's the usefulness of yeah. ritual? And so we want to think about conscious focus, attention, Mm. rituals and maybe doing a lot less of the unconscious distraction ritual. Yeah. yeah, or at least we can potentially make the conscious ones unconscious as good habits. Because mm. habit and ritual seem to me to be two sides of the same coin. Absolutely. What does this have to do with positioning the biosphere at the centre of our governance systems? Because this is really the mission overall. And one thing that you have landed on is that it's not a problem of information. We know what the problems are. We know what we need to do. Mm. But the barrier is this question of political will. Mm. And political wills are so easily bamboozled in all spheres of media. Yeah, It's almost like the whole process is one of bamboozlement. You have to really struggle to find thoughtful, meaningful dialogue on, on a lot of questions yeah i wonder if as a, an army of people who are committing to the biosphere as the pinnacle of our aspirations whether we can undertake rituals that enhance this that's where i was thinking about bits i've been picking up across the media about what is good for you and so a big part of our lives is stress and aggression all this kind of thing and there are things like watering a plant or feeding the cat or nurturing in general your perspective to one of kindness this is the inverse of stress this is very good for yeah. having a good perspective on things but it's also good for connectedness so again you're involved in compassionate communities and social connectedness is such a huge element of good health outcomes yeah. um so again this kindness is very good for connectedness mm. in turn reinforces one sense of purpose again associated not only with longevity but also with effective social transformation so these are all good outcomes these rituals of kindness can bring us to social transformation and happy yeah. lives we've been discussing those connected rituals and even things like how much water do you put in the kettle mm. uh, you know enough for what you want to do or do you just fill it up and set it off so you're boiling two liters of water every time you want a cup of tea well i suppose uh, that also feeds into the whole question of food waste you know we have a special bin for throwing food away with and yet yeah. people are constantly saying that one of the things that we really need to do is to stop throwing food away and that thing it's very interesting that thing about waste not just in the sense of well let's not do it because each time we do do it the fact of the matter is that that's an affront and indeed damage to the biosphere. But that actually when I don't waste, it feels like a good thing. I feel good about not wasting. 
I've noticed the same thing with repairs. So for example, I bought this thing online, which one end of it is an auger, which makes a hole in, for example, a branch. The other end has a sort of a, a narrowed side, which is makes a peg at the end of a piece of wood. So with this single tool, you can make mm. a hole and a peg to make, for example, furniture uh, or a, mm. a ladder or a stool or whatever out of branches of wood. So I bought this thing for my daughter. And in the process of using it, I managed to break the peg maker off the yeah. top of the auger. Oh, dear. But then I remembered that I knew a welder. So I called over to the welder and he fixed it. <laughs> it's so great getting it back. It was like it's much stronger yeah. than it was before. And yeah. it's such a pleasure using it, knowing that it's had this little extra journey. We were talking about the social transformation. There is the, the social context. And we're triangulating all this with the question of aspirations and gods, conscious aspirations, conscious gods, and unconscious aspirations and unconscious gods. And I was thinking that actually a good place to see these unconscious gods is in, for example, a major league sport event or an effective piece of media or, or theater or a rave or a concert. Mm. You know, these are places that in the Greek sense of gods, we're somehow engaging with them. Although, mm. unlike the Greeks, we're not very clear about what exactly we're engaging with. You know, <laughs> we haven't got that same sort of framework. I mean, you're making, I think, a very interesting point here because there are so many things that we do that actually are rituals, but religious with a small r in nature. Mm. And yet we don't realize that and we don't know that. And, and we tend to look upon something as a major sporting event, as you say, or theater or a rave as an event and what's going on in it without sort of standing back and saying, well, actually, this is a major coming together. This mm. is a major expression of collective spirit. And we want more of them. We want to be a part of that. But then, of course, people become very compelled not to miss sporting events or raves yeah. or whatever. And that seems like a sort of an unconscious process of deification of the spirit that they, they get from this thing. Whereas I think yeah. what we're trying to do is try and unpick that from the conscious deification. Not that there's anything wrong with raves, sporting events, or film or theatre, but I think that you know it's the conscious part of it that we are interested in here in yeah. terms of the rituals. And in particular, as an extension to those sporting events and so on, there are things like polarised social media debates and rampant slavery to the monetary system Yes. which you could frame it as addiction to these things, you know, addiction to the kind of aggression or whatever, but it's also a kind of deification of these things. So I think these are the addiction and the deification seem to me to be connected. Yeah, very um, much so. The next thing that I was interested in, well, it's a bunch of different things. So I'll start with the idea that if you're not with us, you're against us. So in business and politics, this seems like a sort of an embarrassing cliche of people who are trying to create a polarized environment. But I was thinking that it's got a real kind of fundamental truth and a rather inconvenient truth to kind of raise when it comes to the unintended consequences of our actions on the biosphere. You know, we can't pretend to not do what we are doing. So every time I leave a trail of smoke going into London in a car, or every time I throw a piece of food away, I'm contributing something to the biosphere. And 
I don't see it. So it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's there. And I was sort of thinking about this whole addiction system thing. I was thinking about human power. So we're this incredibly powerful ape, as it were. And, mm. and I was trying to get a picture of how this ape, in a both positive way and a negative way, uh, interacts with the world. So maybe to take the, the negative way first, what we're trying to get away from is this bull in a china shop, this blundering, brutal, hallucinating ape <laughs> harness, you know, almost like a heroin addict to this yeah. entire system of destruction and poisoning. And it's hopeless, blind, racing to self-annihilation. Yeah. And also, actually, I would add to that, this is the transformation of what is essentially a kind of bejeweled wonder of a planet, as in planet Earth. Mm. And it's transforming that into, well, Mars, which is a desert, or Venus, which uh, is an even better image because it's basically boiling sulfuric acid. So yeah. these are quite real possible futures for planet Earth. And so this is what we don't want, clearly. But mm. it also struck me that harnessed to good habits, this whole picture could look completely different. You know, yeah, and, it has to, yeah. And obviously we want to establish the paradise on earth and maintain and protect this paradise and enjoy this paradise unimpeded, you know, in terms of the biosphere. Yeah. So it's funny, as Schopenhauer says, it's easy to imagine hell because you can see it all around you. But <laughs> to imagine heaven, you've got very little to work with. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to, to get a, a picture of, of our future involves a certain amount of soul searching. And in terms of ritual, um, again, you know, having sort of thought a lot about this uh, addiction system, the global monetary system, the technosphere, which metabolizes the Earth's resources into pollution. I did find myself thinking about the famous 12-step process to escape addiction. Yeah. This is, I mean, this should be like for alcoholics or drug addiction or whatever. It's a, certainly alcoholics and drug addiction, it's very popular and effective for, but people also use it for other compulsions. My understanding is it's used for a lot of different things as well as direct right. addictions. And yeah. so it would appear to be quite applicable to our status as addicts in the addiction system. So I thought it, there are basically six main points that the American Psychological Association right. bring out. So these are obviously kind of split into their 12 steps. Yeah. But the first point is, I guess, quite a self-evident one, is, is the acknowledgement. It's admitting that you cannot control your addiction. Mm. So whether that's alcohol or drug addiction or in our case our addiction to the monetary system and the, the system of information you know where we're stuck in this destructive system as it is at the moment we're trying to identify and acknowledge that yeah and put our hands up and say okay yeah okay bye. exactly okay i see it and i'm ready yeah. exactly yeah so then the next thing, which is very interesting from the standpoint of these podcasts, you know, about whether God is the biosphere, the second point is coming to believe in a higher power that can give you strength. Yeah. So that's really very interesting. And I, again, I yeah. struggle with that because I sort of, I've always been rather skeptical about religions and this kind of thing. But I came to realize that this is in part 
about communicating with your system. You can't really talk to your system. You know, there's there are huge parts of your system which won't do what you tell it to do. Yeah. And yet you can sort of communicate with it through belief because in a sense, faith and belief are almost like at the um, leading edge between your consciousness and, and your unconsciousness. Yes. And so interesting there that yet again, from a completely different angle, I mean, who would have said, well, actually, the alcoholics, the drug abuse, 12-step process, which has been around for years and years and years, actually is also saying, Mm. well, we should consider God as the biosphere, an unexpected endorsement, perhaps. Yes, in a very practical context, in particular, Yeah. yeah. So that's step two. Step three is examining past errors with the health of a sponsor and a sponsor means an experienced member somebody who's been through the process before so this is where we may struggle because i mean who do we know that lives outside the monetary system or who's escaped their addictions in the way that we want so that's a bit of a question mark there the next point is making amends for these errors you've done your audit of who you are in this difficult way of living and looking to improve it by making amends. Mm. And then so point five is learning to live a new life with a new code of behavior. Well, the code Mm. of behavior is sort of somewhere between a constitution, as it were, and a ritual. And then the final point is reinforcing it by helping other people, not just evangelizing, but helping people up. It's so interesting, isn't it? I mean, including that way of life point, because Mm. a lot of people looking at this, uh, you know, hoping that, well, if we just all buy electric cars or we just have all renewable electricity, then we can carry on with our ways of life as they are. And it just doesn't add up Mm. at last. It just doesn't work. And challenging our ways of living and our ways of life and acknowledging that actually they are going to change, they need to change, they have to change. But by the way, when they do change, we'll all be better off and we'll be happier and we'll be more content. Well, exactly. And I suppose we've reached a point where placing the biosphere at the centre of our governance systems requires us to place it at the pinnacle of our aspiration. It's not just a thing that you're shoving in somewhere. All roads need to lead to this as an outcome yeah and and that's a very very fundamental point so that raises another question you know in terms of what it looks like to live well i think that's an aesthetic question in a way but you know how can we frame highly evolved art of living that's worthy of our self-respect as this profoundly conscious and powerful emergent property of the biosphere. You know, yeah. we, we've been produced by this vast system and we mm. find ourselves within it. We find mm. ourselves becoming conscious and we aspire to things, you know, and a lot of people yeah. aspire to great wealth and power and it's quite understandable that they do. So somehow I feel like we need to frame this as a, as a kind of a more attractive, you know, you know, a better way of living that yeah. makes I mean, greed and power look faintly ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, though. You, you know, a lot of people aspire to great wealth and power. Well, what do we mean by 
great wealth and power. Mm. Because if we term wealth in terms of living well and wealthily with nature and the biosphere, there's immense, as we said in previous podcasts, you know, we know immense wealth in living uh, with and in and being part of nature. And then power. Well, at the minute, frankly, uh, our power is diminishing at a rate of knots as we continue to degrade the biosphere. And power in the sense of, well, now we're in harmony with the biosphere and we can live well with the biosphere. Well, that strikes me as a very powerful position. Mm. I was thinking as you were talking there about power as the capacity to, to take action. And I was sort of tapping into something I was thinking earlier on about, you know, you can't communicate with the biosphere. It's only by virtue of our actions that the biosphere reads our activities, either as basically destructive or supportive. But I was thinking about, you know, in terms of rituals, habit, in a way, is is like the B-side of the ritual coin. Yeah. And, of course, a lot's been spoken about habit in recent, well, decades. I was going to say years, but it's really decades at this stage. I remember in the 1990s coming across The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by some guy called Stephen Covey, right? which apparently was highly influential at the time and very much made the point in this individualistic world, we sort of think of freedom as being the highest power, but really interdependency is where the power is. You know, you can't do it on your own. But another thing that struck me was that the power of habit is very much in with our overall theme for these podcasts of systems thinking. There's a feedback loop there. As we know, feedback loops are godlike. So getting back to my point about the either the conscious or the unconscious power of humanity, well, there is the possibility of conscious power. There's a famous quote that we are, we are what we repeatedly do, that excellence yeah. is not an act, but a habit. Yeah. And so well, how, how does this work? Well, famously in the habit-forming literature, it takes about six weeks to establish a habit. And then there's this other sort of myth mm. going around. To master any skill takes 10,000 hours of practice, mm. which I think is about three, is it three or four years, something like this. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. But interestingly, counter to this idea, uh, there's a guy that did some research and found that actually to be proficient at anything only takes about 20 hours. Right. So, you know, you've got the possibility of, say, 20 hours. I don't know, is that um, an hour a day for, for a month or something like this? We have great potential to acquire skills and acquire good habits. Mm. And so if we just accept that, and apply it to what needs to happen with regards to the art of living well, the art of living mm. in accordance with the imperatives offered by the biosphere. There's no doom bar. The possibility is there. We don't need to constantly be turning away and from this. All of this, I mean, it's so interesting listening to you because all of this is in the mind. It's our mindsets. And being trapped in these mindsets, as we've so often said before, and, and yet we can get out of this. And it's really good when you do. And it doesn't actually take a massive amount of effort. And it doesn't mean we're all going to be living in caves and walking around in sandals and loincloths. But it does mean we're going to do something quite different from what we're doing at present. Yeah, just on that point, you know, we've talked about the doom bar. And this is this idea that you just you hear so much bad news 
you stop listening, you tune out. It's mm. too depressing. And in particular with regards to the biosphere and, and climate change. Mm. And it all seems hopeless. A big part of that sense of avoidance, you know, of not wanting to engage with it is stress. Yeah. So I kind of have been fishing around for a while to find some interesting literature about stress. And I heard this great podcast. I think most of this comes from it. But anyway, I'll pin it in the show notes. Mm. Essentially, with stress, it's something that we will experience. We have these various goals in our lives, like having a habitable earth. And we will meet resistance because that's the way life is. Mm. But there are two sort of wrong responses to stress, which don't really help us. The first is this pervasive idea that stress is bad for you. Mm. And that is firstly not true, or at least at the very least, it's not nuanced. I mean, there is a kind of stress that is clearly bad for you. But Mm. stressing about stress creates unnecessary, useless and rather toxic pervasive anxiety so that's not only bad for you but it's kind of wrong Mm. and then the other thing of course that lots of people who like to imagine themselves as being relaxed suffer from is this checking out from stress this is where we've talked about in previous episodes the pervasive culture of avoidance and this leads to depression very clearly so really the thing about stress is it's about the thing you care about if you don't care you're not stressed and if you do care, you are stressed. So that's where, again, the thing you care about, is it the monetary system or the rave or is it your family and the biosphere? These are things that you can choose. But if you check out from stress, you're setting yourself up for depression. That can lead to substance abuse. People get into the cycle of the erasure of perceived pain and escaping mm. into a fantasy of comfort. Mm. So that's all the kind of the wrong side of stress. But it is possible to harness stress to positive effect. And it starts with seeing that stress is not in and of itself positive or negative. It's just a, a fact of life. You know, it's adversity and a yeah. goal-related effort. So the first thing is to acknowledge that you are stressed. You know? So for the people who are constantly checking out of stress, it might be time to stop and check mm. in with your stress. And, and then the second point is to welcome it. Because this is an opportunity to reconnect with something that you care about. Yeah. And then the third point is to utilize your stress as a spur to action. Because one thing that stress does is that it basically increases your focus. And, you know, we've been talking about a lot about focus and distraction with regards to the biosphere. Being stressed narrows your visual field, drives the capacity to pass time more effectively so that you can be, you can really do effective thought and, for example, mm. writing, or you can power through things in a way when you're stressed that you can't when you're too relaxed. And mm. it allows you to process information faster. So this is a very healthy way to deal with stress. And I suppose, as you described it there, the one, two, three is a ritual. Uh, exactly. So let's exactly. this as a ritual, as a way of dealing with stress and, and harnessing stress and harnessing it for good. Well, to deal with the doom bar and to deal with the biosphere specifically is how I imagine this as being relevant to us. And then I came across this quote from this slightly crackpot uh, diet guy called Anthony Williams. Um, yeah. 
but I thought it was a really nice way of thinking about things. And he's basically talking about people with chronic illnesses who've had trouble recovering. He said, your body loves you unconditionally. You may have treated it badly, but your body is always ready to forgive you. Your body wants to work with you to heal. And I thought, well, this is very interesting from, you know, both from our ideas of God and the biosphere, also the ideas about the biosphere as your body, you know, your direct connection. That might be a good place to to leave this week. What do you think, Ed? If you just substituted the word biosphere for body, your biosphere, or sorry, nature, let's think of it in terms of nature. Nature loves you unconditionally. You have treated it badly, but nature is always ready to forgive you. Nature wants to work with you to heal. Mm, and I think nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. that is maybe where we are. That's where we are. Well, we, we got there, Ed. That's great. I think. Well, and thank you, Philip, for basically carrying the entire episode. I thought you did really well. <laughs> I, you well know, I, you. I, I thought you'd be sort of grunting in the background, but you seem to be <clears throat> very perky. Um, thank you. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Ed, for participating as well. And Good. I think next week I thought it'd be really interesting to talk about superstition. Brilliant. You know, in particular, whether we can harness our natural naivety to powerful effect. <laughs>